Well, good morning. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at CORE. If we have never met before, and if today is your very first time here, or you're back for the 100th time, or maybe you're just simply checking us out online, like Josh said, we could not be more excited that each and every one of you are here with us as we launch into this new year with a brand new series that we are calling Win the Day. And let me just say this as we begin our 2023s together, that as we look at kind of what the beginning of this new year brings, at least around here at Core Community Church, if you've been around here for any amount of time, you've probably heard me say this countless times, but each and every time I sincerely mean it. And as I look at the first couple of series that we have planned for 2023, I could not be more excited. Because the path and journey we're going to take over the course of these first few series, I believe with all of my heart, are so ridiculously relevant and powerful and life-changing for so many of us that these first few series, I say this sincerely, are series that you cannot, should not miss. You see, as we launch this series that's all about reducing stress and increasing productivity in our life, as we wrap this series, we're going to be heading into a series that's all about prayer. And what does it look like for us to harness the power of prayer in our life? And what is prayer really? And is it really useful in our lives? And then after that, we're going to be doing a series about how we navigate the division in our world, be it politically, be it morally, and what is our place in that, and how do we do that in the best way possible? And then after that, we're going to be doing a series that's all about the moments of life that we doubt God that we wonder if he's even there, if he even cares about us, if he even loves us, that how do we deal with those emotions and where do we find answers in those seasons of life? And so I cannot wait for what the first quarter of this year is going to bring into every single one of our stories if we choose to engage. But today we kick all of that off with this brand new series that I'm equally excited about because as I look at my own life, what I know about my last year is maybe the same as what you know know about your 2022. And that's this, is that as we talked about on Christmas Eve, for most of us, we look back at plenty of parts of our 2022 and would readily admit that there were plenty of things that didn't go the way we planned them to go. Whether it was relationally or financially in our lives, that there were some disappointments along the way and some things in our life that it didn't really measure up to the dream we had for how the year was going to play out. And as we experience those moments of disappointment in our lives, what every single one of us know is that on the back end of every disappointment that we have ever experienced in our life, the thing that seems to go hand in hand with the disappointments of life is this little thing called stress. And if we were to get ridiculously honest and look close enough, I think what almost every single one of us would admit is this, is that we have far too much stress in our life. And while we have far too much of it, the reality is, is that thing called stress isn't necessarily a welcome thing in our lives. Because as we've experienced stress over and over again in the countless years of our lives that we've lived on this earth, what we've begun to recognize is that this thing called stress is a hindrance. Am I right? It hinders us physically and mentally and emotionally and even spiritually as we strive for the dreams and the destiny that we have for our lives. And if we walked into this room and we consider ourselves to be Christ followers for the dreams and the destiny that we believe God has for our future. 
that that thing called stress holds us back from accomplishing the things that we want to accomplish in our lives. But what if? What if there were some things that we could start to implement into our lives, some things that we could start to do in 2023 that would slowly eliminate the amount of stress that we experience and allow us to finally accomplish the things we've dreamt of accomplishing? That's what this series is about. But the reality is, is far too often as we move through life and we turn the page to a new calendar year, somewhere along the way we've begun to believe that in order for us to have a successful year, a successful future, it requires us to begin to, to really look ahead. And what if looking ahead or too far ahead wasn't actually the key to us accomplishing our dreams and our destiny for 2023? You see, what I believe with all of my heart for every single one of us is this, is that your dreams and your destiny are within reach this year. Or maybe even if 2023 isn't the year in which you fully reach your dreams and your destiny, what if this year could be the year in which you take a significant step towards them? That you begin to move the ball in that direction. But in order for you and I to do that, what we have to begin to understand is this, is that our dreams and our destiny isn't a mystery. Our dreams and our destiny is a decision. And we are all one decision away from a completely different life. And so what will you choose with your 2023? Are you and I willing at the beginning of this brand new year are we willing to begin to do things just a little bit differently in our lives in order for us to experience something different, to begin to implement some different habits within our lives so that we can begin to experience a different outcome within the facets of our life that haven't gone the way we planned it to go? And we believe moving in that direction requires us to begin to pick up seven habits that we're going to talk about over the course of the next seven weeks. About a century ago, a doctor that founded Johns Hopkins University, a doctor by the name of Sir William Osler, was looking at his patients and the patients that he had dealt with. And he began to develop this conclusion about the healthiest patients that he was in care of. And what he began to find is that the healthiest patients, physically, mentally, emotionally, that he was caring for within his practice lived by this one principle. This principle that drives the next seven weeks of this series. And it was this. You see, about a century ago, Sir William Os Osler wrote this. That in order for us to be the healthiest versions of ourselves, we have to become people who are capable of living in daytight compartments. Essentially, what William Osler was saying is that in order for us to live our lives to the best of our ability, we have to become people who are capable of living focused on today. But the problem that many of us have encountered in our lives is this, is that it seems with each passing year as humanity, we become increasingly more terrible at doing this. Do you know that psychological studies show that the average human being spends 47% of their time thinking about things that aren't actually what they're presently doing. Do you know what that means? Nearly half of our thought life is spent either being disappointed and depressed about the past or worried about the future. And let me just say this, y'all. 
that when our lives are focused on either of those ends, when we find ourselves focused on the past or we find ourselves focused on the future, instead of focusing on the present, we miss out on accomplishing the maximum that we were created to accomplish with each of our days. We have been called to live in daytight compartments. Not looking a month out or a year out or a decade out. And if you don't believe me that all lives become more successful when we are capable of just focusing on today, we don't have to look any further at the beginning of a new year than New Year's resolutions to see that truth. Do you realize that 75% of New Year's resolutions fail within the first month? Why? Why is that? It's because as you embark on those New Year's resolutions to eat healthier or to go to the gym every single day, about two weeks into a year-long commitment, what you begin to recognize is the first 14 days were hard enough. There ain't no way I'm going to be able to keep this up for 365 days. Year-long commitments become overwhelming to us as humanity, and what we find ourselves doing is when something becomes overwhelming, we find ourselves taking the easiest path and just throwing in the towel. You want to stress less and accomplish more? Live in day-tight compartments. It's the reason why throughout this series we're going to keep returning every single week to this one question. This one question I believe has the potential to change your habits and change the way you do life in this new year. And the question is this. Can you do it for a day? Can you do it for a day? Realistically, what would change if we began to live our lives under that mindset? Just win the day. And then tomorrow we'll wake up and we'll attempt to do the same. I'm not worried about next week. I'm not worried about next month. I'm not worried about next year and what this world or my finances or the politics will throw at me. I'm simply worried about doing the right thing today. Doing the best thing today. Is it sustainable for today? And if it is, then I'm going to give everything I've got to just do it right. Do it best on this one day. But the reality is, is that we can't just flip the calendar to a new year and expect things to be different. We can't just flip the calendar to 2023 as we look back at our 2022 that didn't go quite the way we planned them to go, that were filled with plenty of disappointments financially, relationally, within our careers, whatever it may be, and just expect that things are going to get better because we flipped to a new calendar year. You see, changing the outcome within all lives and for our futures requires one thing. Change. It requires us to change our habits, to change the way we do things, to get different results. The definition of humanity is what? To continue doing the same things and expect things to get better, expect things to change. It just doesn't work that way. We have to change how we do things in order for our lives and the outcome of our lives to change. And the reality is, is here's the hang-up for so many of us. Here's maybe the setback for so many of us. Is that somewhere along the way, we've believed that the first step in enacting change in our lives that last is enacting behavioral change to our habits. 
That we change the way we behave, we change the things we do, and that's the thing that provides lasting results. And what throws us off the scent of the truth is that when we enact behavioral change, it feels like a quick fix because we see some results immediately. We go to the gym, we start to work out, we cut that out of our diet, and we feel better. But the reality is, is that where the real magic happens and where the real difference is made and where the real change becomes sort of lasting over time, a year, a decade, two decades within all life, is not when we start with behavioral change, but when we become people who are capable of beginning with mental change. That we begin to change the way we think. Because that diet or that workout plan or that change within the way in which you do things at your workplace, it will never latch on and remain consistent unless you start by changing the way you think about that, not just changing first what you do in that. And so this morning we begin this series with the only necessary step in order for us to begin to head in the right direction and be capable of winning each day we embark upon as human beings. And that is this. It's that if you want to change your life, change your story. Essentially what this is saying, what the bottom line is saying is this. If you want to change your life, change the way you think. Change the story you're telling within your own mind. We all focus on the importance of external habits. But what if the internal habits were actually the things that pay the greatest dividends? Things like your internal monologue, the squirrels running through your head, and the voice that's talking to yourself if you're anything like me every single moment of every single day. The perspective you choose to have. The stories you tell yourself about your life, your circumstances, and why things are happening to you. You see, did you know, this is how powerful thoughts are. Did you know that 60,000 thoughts run through the average human brain every single day? Every single day, we have 60,000 thoughts that are firing across the synapse of our brain. And yet Cleveland Clinic recently did a study of those 60,000 thoughts every day that are firing across our brain. And do you know what they found? That of those 60,000 thoughts that fire across every single one of our brain, the average human being has 80% of those thoughts that are negative thoughts. Can you believe that, y'all? 80% of the thoughts that we think on a daily basis are negative thoughts. And hang on for just a second, y'all. We can't win that way. We can't win in all lives, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, if we just continue to adhere to that same habit in our lives. Our thoughts are powerful. And the story we are creating in our mind up until this point has been disproportionately negative. That's a big deal. And that's something that we have to begin by changing in 2023 if we want our 2023s to be different. It's such a big deal that several thousand years ago, one of the wisest men to ever walk on this earth offered this truth about the power of our thoughts in determining who we are and where we go. A guy by the name of King Solomon wrote this. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, he wrote, 
for as he thinks, or some translations say, for as man, mankind, humanity thinks in his heart, so is he. For as you think, that is what you are. That is who you become. That is where you're going. For as I think, it determines who I'm becoming and the direction that my life is heading. Our thoughts matter. They have the power to change things. Don't believe me? Think about your last checkup at the doctor's office. They brought you in, they sat you down on that padded table with that weird white stuff that they roll out over the table. And as you crunch down and they put that band around your arm and they began to take your blood pressure, what's the advice that they always offer you? Now just relax. They're not talking about physical relaxation, right? You're already doing that on that crunchy piece of paper that you're sitting on. You're already physically relaxed. They're talking about mental relaxation. And when they take your blood pressure and it comes back 160 over 100, what are the questions they begin to ask you? Have you been stressed about something lately? Did you have a fight with your spouse on your way here? And they take your blood pressure again, and what do they say? Now try not to think about any of those things that you're stressed about. And what happens when we are able to block out all of those mental stressors in our life? The physical blood pressure begins to come down. Our thoughts have the power to change what happens within our physical bodies. And the stories you tell yourself mentally every single day, they affect your life. They affect the way you're becoming. And dare I say this? The way in which you fight the battles between your ears in 2023 will ultimately affect the quality of your 2023. Y'all okay? The way we choose to fight the battles between our ears in 2023 will ultimately affect the quality of our 2023. And if there was someone on this world in all of time who modeled how to change this, who modeled what this should look like in our life in an incredible way, it was a guy by the name of Joseph. If you know nothing about the story of Joseph, I want to bring us all up to speed as quickly as I can of sort of the backstory of this guy who walked on this earth, who lived on this earth a couple thousand years ago. You see, Joseph was a boy who had something incredible happen to him. He had this dream that all of us in the room who are younger siblings or the youngest in the family, give me a whoop, whoop. Ah, we got some younger siblings in the room that we all dream of having. You see, one day Joseph had a dream that his older siblings, he had 10 older brothers. Can you imagine the pummels that he got in his life living under 10 older brothers? He had a dream that one day his older siblings would all bow down to him. What an incredible dream, right, younger siblings? And yet on the back end of this incredible moment in Joseph's life, he did the unthinkable, right? Joseph made a slip up. He couldn't just leave this incredible dream in his mind and like, oh, this is so great. I'm going to bask in this. What did Joseph have to do? He had to go tell his 10 older siblings that he had this dream that one day they would bow down to him. As you can imagine, didn't end well. 
out of their anger and their jealousy, they got the bright idea, right, as all older siblings think, right? I've lived through this. They all paint this story in their minds that the youngest sibling is the most loved. They're the favorite. And I can just imagine that Joseph's 10 older siblings were thinking the exact same thing. And they're like, hey, if we can get rid of this snot-nosed kid who thinks that one day we're going to bow down to him, not only will we not have to listen to these stupid things that he's saying anymore, but maybe one of us will slot into the favorite And so if we just get rid of him, maybe dad will love us more than what he presently loves us. And so they're like, well, first they threw him in a pit and like, we'll just kill him. And then they're like, oh, we don't want to get that harsh. So we'll take the next step down and we'll just sell him into slavery. And so there was this caravan coming along, headed to Egypt, and they sold Joseph into slavery. And in an instant, Joseph's life flips on a dime and he finds himself spending a significant amount of time as a slave, as a servant in Egypt. But because of Joseph's incredible character and his incredible work ethic, what we find happening in Joseph's story multiple times over is that he finds himself consistently like rising up the corporate ladder. And so Joseph finds himself sort of inching up as a more and more trusted servant until one day he finds himself as the number one servant, the most trusted servant in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was one of the wealthiest and most powerful men in all of Egypt. He found himself just a couple notches down from Pharaoh. And as he was the servant in Potiphar's house, gaining the trust of Potiphar, one day, because of his great character and because of his great work ethic, Potiphar's wife got the hots for Joseph. And so she threw herself at him, and Joseph, in his great character, resisted Potiphar's wife throwing herself at him. He ran out of the house. She tore the coat off of him. He got out of there. And yet when Potiphar returned home from work that afternoon, Potiphar's wife decided to flip the story on end. And she made up the story not that she threw herself at Joseph, but that Joseph threw himself at her, and she was the one to resist. And when Potiphar heard the story, you thought slavery was bad, he found himself immediately being thrown to rot in jail. And here Joseph sat year after year after great work ethic and great character and loving God and doing all the right things. And his years were not turning out the way he had planned for them to turn out. Until one day Pharaoh had a dream. A dream that troubled him because he couldn't interpret what it was. And he saw all the sorcerers and all the wise men throughout all of Egypt. And none of them could interpret this dream. Until one day one of Pharaoh's servants came to him and said, Hey, I encountered this dude in jail and I think he may be able to help you. And Pharaoh was like, Well, not too much skin off of my back. If he can't do it, I'll just throw him back in jail. So bring him over to the palace. Let's see what he's got. And he tells Joseph this dream. And Joseph is the only one in all of the kingdom capable of interpreting this dream. And in a day, Joseph's story goes from prisoner to second in command in the entire nation of Egypt. And in a day, because of the dream that Joseph had interpreted, essentially that the nation of Egypt would encounter seven years of feast, where they had more crop and more resources than what they would ever know what to do with. But on the heels of that seven years of feast, they would then encounter the worst famine that the world had ever experienced. 
on the heels of interpreting that dream, Pharaoh said, since you could interpret it, I'm making you second in command, and your job is to oversee all of the resources and all of the land. I want you to figure out how we navigate through not just the feast, but how we survive the famine. And so he puts Joseph in charge of all of this. And for seven years, Joseph manages the feast years by putting aside, we're only using what we, we have to use, and then we're going to put the rest aside because a famine is coming, a famine is coming, a famine is coming. And then they reach the famine, and ultimately what happens is this. Joseph essentially saves not one, but two nations because of the way that he manages the resources that Egypt has experienced. And yet, in the midst of this famine, something unthinkable happens. Joseph's brothers, starving in the land of Israel, hear that the nation of Egypt has stored up all of these crops, and they're giving them away to their people so that they can survive. And they know that if we go much longer like this, we aren't going to survive. And we have families, and we have a dying father. And we need to go, and we need to beg for them to give us some food so that we will survive. And so they head off to Egypt. And do you know the man that is in charge of dictating whether or not they are given crops or whether they are sent off to starve to death? Unbeknownst to them, it was their brother, who they had sold off into slavery years before. And can you just imagine when Joseph sees his brothers who don't know who he is, the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts that were rising up inside of him? And yet in that moment, Joseph sets a precedent for what a healthy thought life looks like and how it dictates all lives and a future that's capable of accomplishing more and stressing less. You see, as Joseph re-encounters his brothers, this is the mindset that he shows. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says this. You, speaking to his brothers, intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Give us 50-20 vision. What would our lives, our presence, and our futures look like if we were able to look at our lives and even the dire circumstances and the unfair circumstances that we're walking through with this exact same mentality to think through things and to perceive things in the way that Joseph did? Yeah, all of this junk happened to me, but God was using all of that junk to bring about something good. God's fighting on my behalf. God wants something better for me. God's using this. You see, let me just lay this out on a silver plate platter for you all. The bigger the dreams that we have for our lives, the more sacrifices we'll be forced to make and the bigger risk we'll be forced to take. The bigger the dreams we have, the more likely it will be that your dreams will knock you to your knees. But on our knees before our God is often the place in which we gain the greatest perspective. You see, maybe my prayer for 2023 should change to God give me big enough dreams that it keeps me on my knees. But Ben, I don't know what it looks like in light of my dreams and in light of the reality that that I'm probably right there, that 80% of my thought life is negative. I don't know what it looks like to start to rewrite my story and to write a different mental story and to think differently so that my life could change. And this morning, I want to give you practically just three steps, three steps that you can take that can begin to make a shift in your life mentally that'll then set the stage for the next six weeks. And if we can change things mentally and start taking steps in that direction, then the next Next six weeks, we can focus on behavioral change. 
all right? So the first step is this, that if we want to flip the script and tell a different story in our life, the first step we have to take is we have to become people who know our name. Know your name. You have to know who you are. You have to know your true identity, your value, your worth in this life and in this world. And if you're anything like me, so often I allow myself to be defined by how I perceive others look at me. Not even necessarily how they actually look at me, but just how I perceive they look at me or how I think they're talking about me. And I allow the voices around me to define me as opposed to the voice inside of me. But Joseph wouldn't be affected by all of the voices around him. You see, when he re-encountered his brothers, this is how he reintroduced himself to them. And this is so incredible, y'all, and I'm going to break this down for us. But some of us, we've heard this story before, and we read a line like this, and we just breeze right past it like, oh, that's obvious, that doesn't mean anything. But there's something so incredible at play here that reveals something for all lives and how we know our name. You see, when Joseph re-encountered his brothers, this is how he reintroduced himself to them. I am Joseph. And you're like, duh, that's his name. Why is that powerful? Why does that mean anything? Ben, there was a reason I breezed right past that because there is nothing there. But here's what's incredible. Do you realize that when Pharaoh elevated Joseph to the second in command, Pharaoh made the decision that you will no longer be called Joseph. You will no longer be known by your God-given name and all of the power and the association to your identity with your God. It will now be stripped away. And here's what you are to be known by, by all of the Egyptian people. You are to be known from this day forward as Zephanath Peneus. Zephanath Peneus. That's now your Egyptian name. That's how everybody in the land knows you. It comes with great power, great authority, great wealth tied to it. That is now who you are. And yet Joseph, reintroduced himself by his original name, his known, his true identity. That's not, that's not who I am. That this is who I always have been. This is who I always am. This is the value, the worth, the identity that I have in the eyes of my God. And that is not lost on me. I will not lose that at the hands of culture. Because the reality is, it's right here, right now in 2023. If you let it, culture will try to name you and tame you. Cancel culture will chew you up and spit you out. But you can overcome and persevere through all of that when you remember who you really are. And maybe you walked into this place and you're like, Ben, right now I have no idea who I am. Ben, I'll tell you what I feel like I am. I feel like I'm worthless and I'm too far gone and I've made too many mistakes. I feel like I'm less than and my life isn't going the way that I've planned. I feel guilty and I feel full of shame and that's what defines me. And yet the reality is, is that none of those things are true. That if you walked into this place not sure of who you are, let me remind you of who you are and what God says about you. This is how you have been named. This is how you have been identified. This is the value and worth that you have been given. And we find it smeared all throughout. I'd send you to one chapter in this book. In Romans chapter 8, we see again and again and again 
God make clear your value, your worth, your identity, in hopes that you would never forget it. In verse 1, he starts in this way. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you know what he's saying? You may feel guilty, you may feel less than, you may feel shamed, you may feel judged, but that's not who you are. There is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no judgment. You have been made right, you have been made whole. You have been made pure in my eyes because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. And then he continues midway through in verse 17. And since we are his children, he's painting this picture that the God of the universe decided to graft us into his family, to adopt us as his own children, to make us his. And as he made us his, not only do we become and are identified as his children, but it's even greater than that. What's it say next? And because we are his children, we are his heirs. We become the heirs. This is so incredible, y'all. We become the heirs of all God's glory. We have a God who doesn't pull punches, who doesn't withhold anything from us. All the glory that he was due and none of it that we are deserving of, he has now grafted us into his family and says, you are so worthy, you are so enough, that now you have become the heir to all of the glory that I am worthy of. And then it finishes this way. At the end of the chapter, it starts talking about all the trouble and all the calamity that we go through in our time here on this earth. And does that mean that God loves us less or somehow we're being punished? And this is how Paul finishes about our worth, our identity. No, despite all All these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. You are loved. You are accepted. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Know your name. Remind yourself of your value and your worth in the eyes of the God of the universe. We sang about it in multiple songs this morning. You are who he says you are. Not what the person next to you, the person in the cubicle across from you, you think is saying about you or you think thinks about you. You are who God says you are. If you want to flip your thought life, know your name. And then secondly, we have to be capable of fixing our focus. Paul also writes this in his letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to you and I, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It's like a couple thousand years ago, Paul was also living through the reality that you and I live through, that it's so easy for 80% of our thoughts to be about negative things. And Paul's like, no, 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 if you want your life and your future to be different, stop focusing on all the negative stuff and take some time to look at the good stuff. You see, here's what we know, right? If you go looking for excuses, you will always find it. If you go looking for the negative in this world, it won't take long to find it. Amen. That it is so easy for us to find the negative and the depressing and the hurtful within our world. But here's what I believe with all of my heart, y'all. The inverse is also true. That if you go looking for what is good, what is right, you can also find that too. 
You see, we all have what psychologists term as an explanatory process in our brains. And an explanatory process is simply this. It's the habit that each of us form to explain why things are happening to us. And every single one of our explanatory processes is slightly different in the explanation that we give to ourselves in our own mind of why good things or why bad things are happening to us. And several thousand years ago, Joseph put on display what his explanatory process was. You see, in 5020, Joseph, in that passage, could have just hung on to the first part of it, right? Every single one of us look at that and we're like, that would have been fair. He had a right to do that. He could have simply focused on everything you did, you did with the intention to harm me. I'll never forgive you. I didn't do anything to deserve being thrown into slavery. That wasn't fair, and that wasn't right. And now my life turned into a mess, and I spent all these years as a servant, and I spent all these years in jail because of the unfair things that you guys did to me. And yet Joseph chose a different explanatory process. He chose, instead of looking at all the negative that happened, Joseph chose to see that God used this for good. What did he say at the end? I couldn't have saved two nations if I wouldn't have been put in this position. I couldn't have saved all of you if all of these bad things wouldn't have happened to me first. And let me just make this real. Do you realize that 2020 and really the pandemic as a whole provided that exact same opportunity for you and for me? That as we moved through a situation and circumstance of our lives that weren't going as planned, we had a choice to look at that season of our life in the same way that that popular meme was going around, that this is just one big dumpster fire right now. Or we had a choice in the midst of all of that to allow the difficult circumstances and the things that weren't going as planned to refine us and to teach us something about ourselves, to teach us about the things we value most and the way in which we use our time. We had a choice at what we look at in every circumstance of our lives. What will our explanatory process look like? Where will we fix our focus? Because y'all, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. I believe with all of my heart, if we fix our focus on Jesus, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, then all of the junk of this world and all of the unfair circumstances that we encounter in our lives will start seeing the junk in the world not as somehow unfair to us and unfair to our story. We'll start seeing all of that junk as an opportunity for us to make a bigger difference. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it changes the way we look at even the bad stuff. And Peter walked through this, literally walked through this. When he swung his, eye, his legs over the side of the boat and he fixed his eyes on Jesus, Peter was capable of doing what everybody else deemed impossible and turning it into something incredible. He harnessed the power of everything that people said was impossible and he did the incredible. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus and he focused on the wind and the waves and the negative of the world around him, Peter began to experience what maybe you feel like you're experiencing right now. He began to sink beneath the weight of the stress and the unfair circumstances and the difficulties and the hurt of the world around him. We have to refix our focus. 
But how do we practically do that? Well, I want to give you three things really quickly of how we can do that practically right here, right now in our lives. The first is this. Find something to be thankful for every single day. You want to focus on something different? Focus on something every single day that you have to be thankful for. Name it. Write it down. Pray about it. Think about something that you have in your life every single day to be grateful for. It refixes your focus off of the difficulties and the stressors and everything that's flying at you from being the chauffeur of your kids every single day or whatever it is, and it refixes your focus on the good. Two, change your pace and place. If you want to change your perspective, change your pace and change your place. Change how fast you're going, how fast you're moving, slow things down, and change where you are. I'm going to throw something at you that may hurt just a little bit. If you find yourself constantly having negative thoughts, maybe the first place to start is to assess the people that are around you. And if you find yourself around negative people, change your place. Spend a little less time around those people. If you want to change your perspective, don't allow it to be dictated by negative people constantly in your life. And then the third practical tip that you can do, reduce something. If you've got too much on your plate, reduce something. If you feel like you are distracted by all the noise, reduce the noise. Spend some time in silence. Dare I say it. Spend some time every single day away from your phone that's constantly telling you you have another email coming in. Reduce something that you've become accustomed to in your life and just cut it out. There's this really scary word within the church world that's just that. That's just reducing something for a week or two weeks or four weeks so that you can focus better. It's called fasting. It doesn't mean you have to give up all food if that's not your, your jive. Give up something. Reduce something in your life and fast from it so that you can refix your focus. If you want different results, try focusing on something different. Know your name. Fix your focus. And then third, change your story. Change your story. We finish here. Do you know the number one indicator of emotional health in kids? Knowing their family history. Isn't that crazy? The number one indicator of emotional health in kids is knowing their family history. Is knowing who they are and how they came up and how they were loved and how they were chosen. And I have two little boys, five and six years old. If you don't know Krista and I's story, our two little boys, we adopted both of them. And we made a commitment, as difficult as it may be, that that was something that we weren't going to hide from our kids when they started asking questions. And just recently, our kids have started to, to become cognitive of different family aspects. And so our oldest has started saying things like, Mommy, do you remember when I was in your belly? And for us to explain to him, like, well, buddy, you weren't actually in mommy's belly. You were in another mommy's belly. And then when you started to grow up a little bit, then we sort of chose you and we brought you into our family and we adopted you as our own. And as much as it like brings tears to my eyes to sit in the front seat and to 
hear my six-year-old talk about, like, well, I wasn't in your belly, mommy, and you didn't have me, and another mommy had me. It also presents this incredible opportunity for us to change our kid's story, to begin to explain to him, like, no, no, you were grafted into our family, and you were chosen, and we prayed for you, and, and we cried over you and for you, in the same way that, like, God tells that story over your life and my life. Like, I didn't have to accept you into my own, but I prayed for you, and I loved you, and I grafted you into my family, and I made you my child, and I made you my heir. Now you have a different story going forward, and this is who you are, and this is how much you were loved, and this is how much you were chosen. You see, y'all, our story was never meant to be a story that's one of woe is me. It was meant to be a story of power and impact and world change. Jesus wanted us to experience something better, a story that was defined by our past, but that redefines our future. He wanted us to latch on to this truth of this is what's a part of our story when we become a part of his family. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is saying this to his disciples about the future of the local church. This is so incredible, y'all. He says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know what Jesus is effectively saying? That when you align your life to my will and for my glory... There is nothing that is off limits to you. You have incredible power and authority, and you've not been made with fear. You've not been made less than. You are my child, the child of the Most High. And with that comes something incredible for your life. And I don't know about you, but for me, I've read that verse many a times until a couple of years ago. That was simply a theory on paper. But then in the fall of 2020, they were starting to send kids back to school for the first time. There was all of this uncertainty and all these new policies and all these changes and all this fear about health and safety going on and sending these masses of kids back into classrooms and back into schools for the very first time. And as a church, we looked on at that and we were like, what can we do? There's nothing physically that we can do around that. And yet we want to do something. We want to be in support of all this uncertainty and all this fear. And we want to provide some hope in the moment. And so we made this decision that before everybody went back to school, that we were going to have a night of prayer. And yet we weren't going to do it here. We were going to be out at our schools. And if you were around a couple years ago, we did this night of prayer in which on the front lawn of every single school within our district, we had a leader on site. And we said, you can go to any school you want to, any school that you have a kid or a grandkid or you know somebody there, and we're just going to pray. And so that night we just prayed and we prayed for the health and the safety and God's favor over teachers and administrators and staff and students that were going to walk into that building. We prayed over parents and their fear and their uncertainty of sending their kids back to school. And we just prayed that God's comfort would be known and that God would do some incredible things and that God would be made known in some way in a public school function within these buildings and what was going to be happening on this site. And after that, Krista and I, we were at the high school and it was with my small group and we prayed there. And then we made the decision, like, our kids were in preschool, so we were going to go over to the preschool, and we prayed there, and then we went to the two elementary schools, and we prayed over that, and just for whatever it took, for God's glory to be done in that place every single day, we don't know what that looks like or how it's going to come to be. Two years later, we own two of those buildings. For God's glory 
to be done, his name to be known, heaven to be made more crowded through those buildings every single day. When we align our lives and our prayer life around, let me be clear about this, guys, the will of God and the glory of God. Not just my wants, not just my needs, the will of God, the glory of God. That's when theories turn into testimonies. That's when we see God start to do something we never could have imagined because God is capable of doing far more than we could ever imagine. See, let me finish here. I believe with all of my heart that we're heading into a season of acceleration. Not just around here organizationally, but I believe the same thing about your life. That we're heading into a season of acceleration here organizationally as core. And if I were to be ridiculously honest, over the course of about the last 12 months, there has been this pit within my stomach and my heart, this feeling that I've been fighting against constantly. This feeling of just feeling stuck. And I've had to go to my mentor many times, and he's had to talk me off the ledge of that. And yet I feel like that season is coming to an end. And I feel like God has something incredible that he wants to do in and through the story of Core Community Church that's going to begin to move at a breakneck pace. And I believe he wants the same for your life and your faith. And yet the question that remains is this, is that in order for us to be ready for a season of acceleration in our lives, we have to first consecrate ourselves. We have to prepare ourselves. We have to begin to develop some different habits. And developing different habits that allow us to just win today, just do the right thing today, just do the best thing today. Just make it sustainable for today. Begins with our willingness to just change our thoughts first. Are we willing to change the way we think? By knowing our name, fixing our focus, and changing our story. And then seeing the way in which our lives and our futures change when we make that adjustment that God is calling us to make. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, God, man, we thank you for what a great God you are. We thank you that you want a rich and satisfying life for our present and for our future. You want us to live lives in which we have this 50-20 vision. That even though bad things will happen and we'll be up against difficult circumstances, that's a guaranteed in life on earth that we're able to look at that and hold a different perspective as we look at that and move forward. That you intended to harm me, but God's capable of using it for good. That we know our name, we know our value, our worth. We fix our focus, and we choose to see the positive. We change our pace and place, and then we choose to change our story. We see who we are and what we've been telling ourselves and whose family we're a part of, and what we've been gifted, and power, and authority. And we begin to harness that, to change the impossible into something incredible. God, we thank you for what we believe 2023 and a year of acceleration looks like in every single one of our lives. It's in your name that we